Today, we're going to talk about the coaching habit with Michael Bungay-Stainer. Welcome to Coaching for Potential with Rory Rowland. Join national presenter and consultant Rory Rowland as he discusses another aspect of powerful coaching and how it transforms people to improve your organization. Welcome to Coaching for Potential with Rory Rowland. Hi, Rory. Hey, Paul. How are you, my friend? I'm great. Excited about another podcast where we get to learn from an expert coach. Yeah, Michael Mungay-Stainer is one of the world-class coaches. He wrote The Coaching Habit. He sold over a million copies of that book. I highly recommend it. It's got seven basic questions in there, and uh, it's just an excellent book, and uh, he's just an excellent interview. So he's just got great insights and great information uh, that we talked about today. You came to the idea of focusing on coaching because you trained and spoke all types of different topics, but you found out that coaching was the one that really impacted uh, the organization. Do you Absolutely. find do you find that that's what happened with all these other coaching experts as well? Yeah, Michael, he actually talked to me about that when we were offline a little bit, and he said, you know, he started the coaching process, but he really liked what he liked was teaching it and just seeing the impact it makes in organizations. When you've got leaders who truly listen, they try to engage with people, they truly try to find out what their strengths and weaknesses are, and try to put them in the in the best spot. And great coaches do that. They're looking at. How do we put people in the right spot so, the org- so they can personally win, but it can also make the organization much more effective? And he's excellent at that. One other question before we go to your good conversation with him. Mm-hmm. How important is it to hear all these different voices of coaching? I just think it's really important to get a perspective from a lot of different people to hear their uh, analysis of coaching, how they use it, how they work with it. Marsha Reynolds was an excellent interview. She's actually been one of the top downloads we've had over the last three months. And so it's just so important to have people with real, just real depth of knowledge that have spent their entire career learning how to coach, how to teach it, and the insights that they can bring to these podcasts. And this is just an easy way for people to broaden their coaching experience without having to, just an easy way to learn. I just love listening and I listen to audiobooks and podcasts all the time. That's why I love it. And that's why I love bringing it to people is that it's a great way to, to learn new skills without having to go to a classroom, go to college. Go to night classes, anything like that. It's just a great way to learn. Well, we appreciate you bringing all these different uh, experts to us. And now let's go to your conversation with Michael Bungay-Stainer. Welcome, everyone, to Coaching for Potential. Today, we are delighted to have Michael Bungay-Stainer. He is the best-selling author of The Coaching Habit and The Advice Trap. He is one of my coaching heroes. So, Michael Bungay Stainer, welcome to Coaching for Potential. Rory Rowland, that is very kind of you to say that. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here. It is my pleasure. You are a rock star in coaching, and I am just thrilled <laughs> to have you on the podcast, my friend. Thanks. Who are some of your coaching heroes? And, uh, and then I've got a follow-up on that. The person who's been most influential, the two people who've been most influential in my approach to coaching, neither of them would call themselves coaches. They're both more in the world of organizational development and change. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter Block is one of them and Ed Shine is another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter Block wrote uh, Flawless Consulting and the answer to how is yes. And I once heard him say he saw his work in organizations as giving people responsibility for their own freedom. Mm. And that to me speaks to a, deeper purpose of why we do coaching. Mm-hmm. It's not just to have them perform better. It's not just to ask them better questions. It's not just to drive better results. It's to enable adult to adult relationships to flourish within organizational life, knowing that 
organizations are actually really systematically not about adult to adult relationships. They're about getting stuff done. They're about Mm -hmm. producing stuff. And organizations are fundamentally the, you know, the concept of change in organizations is homeostasis, which is the system resists change. Mm -hmm. Having Peter's guidance and encouragement around play to the bigger game. And then Ed Shine, who influences Peter Block's work as well, um, around his understanding of what changes and how cultures work. I'm interested in coaching because I'm trying to change cultures. I'm mm-hmm. trying to change organization. Right. So it's, you know, there's all sorts of other people like, like Warren Berger, for instance, in his book, A Beautiful Question. Now, it's fantastic. I love that. I there's, agree. Um, you know, Pema Chodron, what happens when things fall apart. That's a really profound, helpful thing. Jason, oh, Aaron, Aaron Dignan and his book, Brave New Work, also really brilliant. So I've got a lot of people who influence uh, me around that. Lots of people who I respect as individual coaches, but those are more my kind of intellectual forebears who've influenced my way of seeing the world. I love that. And uh, I love the book, A Beautiful Question. It's absolutely terrific. And uh, I just fell in love with it. It's just a great book. Highly recommend it. Excellent. So you did coaching for a while. Now you've shifted. But obviously, when you were coaching, you probably had a success story. Tell me one of your favorite coaching success stories. There's a, a recent success story. Because mm-hmm. um, when I coach, I coach often uh, you know, on ad hoc reasons or in a way to, as I help Box of Crayons and, organ- and the people they serve to shift their cultures. So mm-hmm. one of our most significant clients is Microsoft. You know, mm-hmm. with Sachin Adela coming in as CEO and part of what he's done over the last 10 years is championing a shift of culture from know-it-all to learn-it-all, as he would put mm-hmm. it. You know, very much influenced by Carol Dweck and the growth mindset. Mm-hmm. But, but what does that mean in terms of practice? Right. You know, practic- practically, how do you operationalize the growth mindset? Well, helping people be more coach-like is the way you do that. And you know, Microsoft have put tens of thousands of people through our training um, to help shift that. And it's been really successful. It's been a really good fit of training and their culture and their needs and their strategy and all of that good stuff. So all of that's exciting. Last year, um, actually earlier this year, 20, early 2020, mm-hmm. um, I was at Microsoft's big, big sales conference in uh, Las Vegas just mm-hmm. before COVID hit and everything got shut down. So they just snuck it in. Ended up coaching the head of sales. So, you mm-hmm. know, very senior reports to Sachin Adela, the CEO. And we did a 20 minute or maybe less 15 minute, perhaps demo of coaching on stage in front of 4,000 people. And so Rory, it was this culmination of a few things. It was me role modeling my approach to coaching, which you you see in the coaching habit book. It was um, me performing to the 3000 people. So bearing them in mind as an audience but truthfully, the power was in um, JP, the person I was coaching, and his willingness to be coached and to be vulnerable and to go a little deeper into some of the stuff that mattered actually to him, not just because of the power of a senior, senior, senior leader doing that, which is powerful in and of itself. There's this added moment of understanding that he has been a long-time Microsoft person. Mm-hmm. So he grew up in the previous culture. Um, with uh, Balmer, which is a 
a very different culture. Mm-hmm. Very kind of you know, shouty, salesy, driving, right. we're the best, arrogant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to see him go do that with me was an incredibly powerful symbol for what Microsoft were really up for in terms of what culture change really meant and the commitment of the leadership there. So I looked at that and I'm like, that was 15 minutes, which was a culmination of 20 years of practicing. It was, it was a really special moment. Yeah, that is terrific. And, and one of the things you mentioned there is vulnerability. And I have a, a matrix that I've created through my practice is I call it the habit matrix. Does this manager have it? And the acronym stands for uh, humbleness, authenticity, vulnerability, engagement, integrity, and trust. You've got to have, I think, all of those in order to be a really effective manager and truly to embrace this process of coaching, you know, not only asking your employees to be honest and vulnerable and authentic, but you've got to be honest and vulnerable and authentic. And if you can do that, I think you can make tremendous change. And that's really the essence of your story is that that leader, JP, was willing to that day be honest and vulnerable in front of 3,000 people and really say, here are some of the challenges that I'm facing. Here are some of the real issues I'm facing. Uh, and, and all of us have that vulnerability of, am, am I good enough for this? Can I do this? Uh, how, can I, how can I achieve this? Yeah, exactly. And I love that. That's a really helpful acronym. Let me ask you a question, though. Sure. You've got humbleness and vulnerability, which I think have a connection to them. Mm, you know, right. For me, um, humbleness or humility has a sense of groundedness. Right. Of awareness of who you are, which is mm-hmm. part of the vulnerability to know your strengths and also your, your weaknesses. Mm-hmm. What if you're... It, what if you have a brasher personality and being authentic for you has a tension with this idea of humility and vulnerability? How do you, how do you manage that tension? What you're saying, if, if I were a person that was an aggressive individual, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, and a, that could be in a, a kind of a, a more extreme case, but for sure, somebody who, who's got swagger, you know, I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm, senior, I'm a senior successful salesperson, right. I'm closing millions of dollars. I've, I'm a bit shiny. I'm a bit slick. Right. I'm a bit kind of brash. Mm-hmm. I don't really care about other people so much because I'm like, you know, honestly, it's my self-centeredness mm-hmm. that is making me brilliant as a salesperson. Right. And you're I, like, I, but yeah, but humility and, and vulnerability. And they're like, yeah, I'm not going to do vulnerability. That doesn't help me at all to close these deals. Um, yeah, but I think from the perspective of, okay, and are you talking about a salesperson? You're talking about a sales manager. Who, who, how are you talking about no, that? No, I'm just making this person up. You know, as a, I understand. As a, as, as, a, as a kind of like, uh, but somebody who's like a leader, they've got, mm-hmm. they got people who report to them. Right. Um, and I've actually coached. How do you balance that tension? Yeah, I've actually coached folks like that. And, and the challenge well, I have for them is, I ask them is, is this persona that you project the best per- persona for achieving the long range goals you want to achieve? Yeah, good. And, and we've had those discussions. And, and, I, and sometimes they just look at me like, uh, wow. You know, it's like the, the question of the, the center of the universe, you know? And, yeah. and I had one gentleman, I said to him, you know, I asked him that question and he said, wow. And I said, you know, do you want to think about that? Are we done for the day? And do you want to think about that? And he said, I do. And he actually went back and asked his wife. Uh, he had the courage to ask his wife right. and he had a complete, um, his transformation was a complete transformation. Uh, a lot of, a lot of coaches talk about coaching shifts. And the way that you create a coaching shift, as you well know, you've studied the art, is you have a mindset shift change, 
I almost said it wrong there, a mind shift <laughs> change. And that allows that shift to occur. He recognized, he came back to me and he says, he, he asked me the question, do you think my ego is getting in the way? And I asked him, what do you think? You know? <laughs> right. Is that a rhetorical question or what? <laughs> Absolutely right. But I said, I said, tell me times when it's worked for you and times when it hasn't. And what's yeah. been the long-term effect of that? And we talked then about six months later. And one of the things he said to me is that I've now recognized that my ego, my abrasiveness, my brashness was really getting into the way of my true success. Yeah. And now he has conversations. He's truly embraced the coach-like mindset and he knows the power of questions, but the transformation for him, I mean, he's a different person today than he was when I started coaching him. That's great. And that's, and that's what we all look for. I mean, that's what, yeah. that's better than the, the paycheck. Don't you agree? That's what we do. Oh, totally. That's why we do this. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a, sweet, powerful moment where somehow you manage to pull that off. It doesn't always happen, but if right. you can. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, one of the guys I spend time with is Marshall Goldsmith, so a big name in the coaching world. Yeah, he's a rock star. He is a rock star. And um, I remember some years ago him going, you know, what I, you know, he's got a business model where he only gets paid if people change their behavior. Wow. He's got a year and it's like, we're going to define the three key behavioral shifts Mm-hmm. And if the people around you don't see that shift, then I don't get paid. Okay. Now, a couple of th- things that develop from that. The first is, he's like, that means I have to be really selective who my clients are mm-hmm. because I'm only going to take people who are up for, the, up for the game. Right. But the other thing he said was, I, I went from three significant shifts to one behavioral shift. Because if you can, if you can pick the right behavior and change that significantly, then it, it becomes a domino that changes everything else. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, really powerful. Yeah, I love that. And uh, I love Marshall Goldsmith stuff. He's just absolutely brilliant. I just think he's a rock star. And I've watched a number of your videos where the two of you are online and, and do that yeah, together. So exactly. you guys have great synergy together. Uh, Thanks. So, yeah, absolutely great work. So what's one idea? Because I love the book, The Coaching Habit. And what's one idea that you want to make sure that people take away from that? I'm obviously you've got the seven questions and, and you talk yeah. about the coaching habit and developing that coaching habit, but what's one idea you want them to, to walk away with? Well, you know, knowing that the people who, who listen to the show, they're likely to be a mid-level leader or a senior leader. You've got people who report to you, who look mm-hmm. to you for guidance and support and encouragement and answers and the like. Mm-hmm. Most of us carry a almost unspoken expectation and that's called an obligation to be the person with the answers and when Mm -hmm. your people come to you you want to help them right how do you help them you give them the insight and the guidance and the answer from your own experience but i i want to offer an alternative to that what if you saw your role as being the person who really helps them figure out the real problem to work on Mm -hmm. you're like you know what the answers will come Mm-hmm. But if I can really ensure that we're focused on the right thing, the most important thing, the thing that will make a difference to the organization and the team, the thing that will light them up, mm-hmm. it changes everything. Mm-hmm. Because in most organizations, people are working hard on stuff that doesn't matter that much. <laughs> right. And it, it's not that it, it, it's not, it doesn't matter at all. It probably matters a little bit. But 
you know, just thinking for your team or your, your unit that you increased your capacity to focus on the stuff that really mattered by 10%. Mm-hmm. It would make all the difference in the world. It'd be one of those changes upstream that changes everything downstream. Mm-hmm. And you can do that by going, my job is to find out what the real challenge is, not be the person with the fast answer. Mm-hmm. Be the person who figures out the challenge. Mm-hmm. Hold the space for other people to have their first go at figuring out the answer. And if need be, you can throw in your advice and opinions and ideas and solutions and suggestions a little later on. I mean, you're in the book, as you know, Rory, Mm -hmm. we talk about being more coach-like as can you stay curious longer? Mm -hmm. Can you rush to action and advice giving a little bit more slowly? Mm -hmm. And that's the behavioral shift that I'm encouraging here for people. Yeah. And that is so incredibly profound because if we can just get out of that, uh, which really leads on to the uh, next book that you have is The Advice Trap because really goes into that is we all fall into that. And those two ideas obviously lead in together. Um, But I love love your question of what lights them up. That Mm -hmm. is just a great question. What lights them up? And I was um, talking yesterday with a client. Uh, They were struggling with some stuff about, you know, they're a group of managers and they're all uh, assistant vice presidents. And so they're mid-level of the organization. Yeah. Uh, They were struggling with, I I just don't know all the stuff I should know. And so I, it just came to me, I go, I need to write a book that's just a very simple book, very short. The 25 questions or the 25 things every manager should know about every one of their employees. Right. You know, what, what lights them up? you know, what are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? Uh, you know, how do they work? What's their, what's their mindset towards things? Uh, are they more of an introvert or extrovert? You should know all those things so you can put people in the right spot. You could, con- you could control it, my, call it my operating manual mm. and write it for people to discover their own stuff about that and then mm-hmm. give to other people. Mm. Because wouldn't it be, I mean, I try and do this with people who come and work with me. Like, mm-hmm. let me tell you how best to work with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can tell you the stuff that makes me happy. And I can tell you the stuff that makes me sad or twitchy or controlling or annoying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can tell you right. I can tell you right now the stuff that will irritate the hell of out hell of whatever will irritate me, you right. about me. Right. <laughs> I can tell you what it is. Right. And I can tell you how best to manage me around that. So a, it shows up less and B, when it does show up, you snap me out of it. Mm-hmm. I can give you all of that. And I try and do that. I try and talk people through it. I'm like, I'm going to give you my operating manual right at the start. And then I'm going to revisit it. And then I'm going to revisit it. And then I'm going to revisit it because you forgot it all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I can tell you how to make me, make me purr. <laughs> Just imagine if everybody was saying, look, before we start working, let me give you my operating manual. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and understand that and it can make it can change everything i i love that i think that's absolutely terrific that's uh you know every because everybody has an operating manual and it's just if if you just knew what it was and didn't have to discover it it would just make the learning curve so much quicker so much better so much easier I, I love that concept. I hope I hope I haven't stole your next best-selling idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, actually, I mean, this kind of closes the loop, but um, you know, Peter Block talks about that. He uses the word social contracting, which is mm-hmm. let's talk about how we work together before we talk about what we work together on. Right. And inevitably, we are pulled into conversations about what should what are we doing? What are we doing here? 
What's mm-hmm. the, let's fix this out. And actually, if you stop and you go, let's spend some time figuring out how to work best together, it creates resilience to the relationship. Yeah, I absolutely love that. What's your personal operating manual and let them in on it. Exactly. Set me on fire. And these are the things that just make me want to purl like a kitten in your arms, you know, just make it happen. And that is absolutely terrific. Uh, What do you think is one of the biggest challenges for managers to be coach-like? I mean, it's worth acknowledging that most people have spent a lifetime being trained in in having the answer. Mm. Like, this is how you get the A, you have the answer. (laughs) Right. And so it's the the very obvious thing is we have some deep habits to say we, we, we instinctively jump in to try and have the answer because we're trying to help and we've been trained that this is the best way to help and to prove how valuable you are. Right. There's a deeper, there's a deeper level under that or it's connected, but it's perhaps a kind of more profound understanding, which is the act of being more coach-like of asking a question rather than providing an answer is an act of empowerment. And everyone's like, well, I'm, that's good. I'm pro empowerment. <laughs> there aren't many people who are like, I'm anti empowerment, but but here's what's often unsaid about empowerment, which is it is an act of giving up power and control to the other person. Mm. It is saying to them, let me give you the control of this conversation. Let me give you power to shape the direction of this conversation. People find it hard. I mean, we're wired not to give up power and control. That sounds wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> but it's about kind of connecting back to what we were saying before about you know the bigger game we're playing here, which is this is how you allow others to step forward and step up and lean in and all of those good metaphors. And it also allows you to then grow and expand and increase your capacity. And it kind of connects you back to Rock Greenleaf and servant leadership. Again, this is what it looks like. You get to leave people better than you found them. That's how Greenleaf talks about servant leadership. Mm -hmm. But it's that understanding about what's, what do you sacrifice to enable that to happen? Empowerment requires sacrifice by you. Mm-hmm. And giving up control and power by you. And I think that's the deeper thing that people have to wrestle with. Mm-hmm. But once you do that as a manager, and, and, I've, and I've coached a, a number of managers who have, you know, I'm not saying they're perfect, but they've certainly moved the needle towards that approach. And what they find is they delegate more effectively. Their folks are more creative. They have yeah. less hassles. They have less things on their plate. They have people who are more fulfilled and stay longer. I mean, all of those benefits of, of doing that. But it, it on, allows on you. To- that, on balance, that is absolutely true. But it also comes with that not working. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. People don't want it. They resist it. Stuff gets screwed up. It's messier. It's harder. Mm-hmm. It takes longer. I mean, I, I don't want to be naive about what mm-hmm. this means. Mm-hmm. But it's about playing into a bigger game, getting a bigger win, just all those things that you're saying in terms of benefits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the bigger win, the longer game. And that is the, if there's any pushback I get, particularly from frontline managers, is it takes longer to do this initially. That's their perception. Yeah. Uh, but, but after they do it, after, if they trust me and they do it, then they see within six or nine months that it really is their folks are taking on more responsibilities. They're doing the task without being told what to do. They yeah. know the parameters. Then they, as managers, are able to work on higher level things that, guess what, helps their career move forward. Totally. Yeah. I think it takes less time than people think. Mm-hmm. I think, but I also think it's, it's not, it's the challenges and all this just takes time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's a bit of a red herring. 
Mm-hmm. I think it, it does take a bit more time, but really it takes an unwiring of you and, how you, and a rewiring of you as a leader and as a manager. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that unwiring is the, the challenge that most managers, Chad Hall, who wrote the book, and it's very short, and he's written a number of them on Amazon, uh, The Language of Coaching. And he describes it, learning a new language. You've got to unthink, you know, we've been, you know, used to telling people what to do. We got to stop that, you know, translate it. You know, it's like learning how to speak Spanish. Okay, where's the bathroom? Well, donde esta la baño? You know, (laughs) that you've got to take for, if if Spanish is not your primary language, you got to, okay, I got to say, where's the bathroom? I got to stop and say, okay, how do I say that in Spanish? And then I got to say it. Process takes time and it it, it takes processing. Brilliant. Yeah, so it, it, I highly recommend that one. It's a really, really excellent book. So any last thoughts about the coaching habit before we wrap up this podcast? I'll just say this, you know, as, as you said, Rory, the, the book has become this, it's become this amazing success. I mean, it's mm-hmm. so thrilling. It's almost sold a million copies now. Right. Um, and it says, look, here are seven good questions. And if you, if you start using these seven questions, mm-hmm. it's part of that. It's the, it's the grammar of this new language to right. use that, that metaphor. It's like you only need these seven questions and it will take you a long way down the path. Mm-hmm. What I'd say to people is actually you need less than that to start. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, you can Google these seven questions. I mean, buy the book for sure. But if you don't <laughs> want to buy the book, Google the seven questions because there's been a thousand articles written about it. Right. And pick one or pick mm-hmm. two and start using the questions. I mean, behavior change is persistence and doing a little bit more every day of being curious rather than giving actions mm-hmm. and directions and action will make all the difference. So pick a question. Right. You know, uh, it doesn't matter. All, all of the seven questions are good. So pick one of them <laughs> and, and, and just start seeing it. Commit to asking it twice a day. And that could be the, the change of something amazing. Absolutely. And so I love both your books, The Coaching Habit and The Advice Trap. They're excellent. And uh, I know you had to work a long time to get the ideas all melt, you know, smelted down to being a beautiful vehicle. It That's takes a good time. way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to struggle through the misery to get to complexity, uh, simplicity on the other side of complexity. Exactly right. And, and I can tell when you wrote it, you know, obviously coaching for a living, I can say, I can tell he worked really hard to get this to be <laughs> precise and, uh, exactly. and, and True. well done. Yeah. You write, you don't write a book, you rewrite and rewrite and rewrite and oh, rewrite endlessly. a book. <laughs> endlessly. Exactly. And then you probably see it in print. And you go, Oh gosh, I would, I just let me have that paragraph again, you know? You know, actually, that, that's true a little bit with the advice trap. I can see stuff I would re, rewrite on that. But the mm-hmm. coaching habit, I, I spent so, I rewrote that so many times. Mm-hmm. But I still look at it and I go, that's pretty good. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's nothing really I'd change in that. It was Richard Nixon, Secretary of State, that he had one of his employees bringing him a policy position paper on something. And uh, basically he said, is this the best you can do? And he goes, well, it's not. And so anyway, long story short, he took it back seven times and rewrote it. And then he finally asked him, is this the best you can do? And he finally said, yes, it is. And he says, okay, I'll read it now. And uh, that's kind of, that's kind of the favor you did for us is you rewrote it, rewrote it, rewrote it. And now we can read it. (laughs) And it's a, it's a brilliant book. Michael, how can people learn more about you, what you do? Sure. So the best place to come and hang out with me is uh, website mbs.works. Mm-hmm. Um, it shows you the, the bits and pieces I'm up to, and it's a good way of finding out the added bonuses you get with the books. The thing people might be really interested in, we have a free program called the Year of Living Brilliantly. 
-hmm. It's literally 52 great teachers Mm -hmm. each share a short video, two to six minutes every week. And it's a way of nudging and pushing you forward. It's a really diverse, interesting group of teachers. And uh, if you're committed to kind of grow and build both knowledge and action, then this is a really strong, useful course for you. So Year of Living Brilliantly, findable at mbs.works. The year of living brilliantly. And this would be a great year to start it because, you know, with COVID, <laughs> you're at home. You might as well. We could do with about a year. <laughs> Wherever you're at, you're, you're probably thinking, I'm hoping the next 12 months are better than the last 12 months. Uh, and I think they will. This too shall pass and we'll get over it. Michael, I cannot say thank you enough for being on Coaching for Potential. I love your books. Continued success, my friend. Thank you, Rory. It's been great talking to you. That was a great conversation with Michael Bungay Stainer author and coach expert. Thanks, Rory. Absolutely. Uh, and I was just delighted to bring it to you. And I've got I've to actually admit to people, when I interviewed him the first time, it was probably about four months ago, and uh, we got through the entire interview and I didn't turn on the recorder. Oh, and I was just so <laughs> angry with myself. I was just, it was just furious myself. And it took me about a week to get over it because he was so incredibly busy and so difficult to get on the agenda. And he was so gracious towards the end of it. I just told him, hey, I just screwed up, man. I didn't record it. He said, no problem. Give me a holler in about three or four months because my schedule will loosen up. And uh, he was just so incredibly gracious to be on it. And uh, he's just a great interview. And he's got uh, great insights uh, into his process. So I, I love the fact that in, the, uh, in his book, he's got basically seven questions. And the awe question is A-W-E and what else? And he mm-hmm. loves asking that question. He loves asking and what else? What else can you tell me? What else is impacting you? What else can you do? How can you look at this from a different perspective? And so it's just a great question. And I love that, that question and that mindset of, you know, what else can we do and how else can we go about it? Well, that says a lot about him to give you the interview again and a lot about you to uh, share with us that maybe Rory <laughs> Rowland isn't perfect. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't even know if I told you as soon as it happened, I was like so incredibly embarrassed. And now it's been a few months and it's like the, I just ripped the bandaid off and tell people I screwed up and screwed up big time. So yeah, I was incredibly embarrassed, but he was incredibly gracious to come back on and do it again. And so it was a great interview. So well, I, I admire your persistence. Fun. I admire your persistence I mean, for still bringing it to us. So thank you for that. I, you know, I'm not very smart, Paul, but at least no. I'm persistent. I, I stay after something for quite a while. Now, if people want to be very smart and contact you to mm-hmm. help with their organization, how can they get a hold of you? Absolutely. They can get a hold of me uh, at RoyRoland.com. They can also go to CoachingManager.University and actually uh, contact us there. We've also got all the podcasts on Coaching Manager University. It's probably the easiest way to find all of the podcasts uh, through Coaching Manager University and the and the link that we have there on it. So you'll have all of them together. But they can certainly do that. Uh, also, if they send me an email and they ask for a free scholarship to Coaching Manager Ooh. University, I'll one person per podcast a free copy of Coaching Manager University. And so it's a great way to continue to learn to grow. And it's 52 online modules. I know you went through it rather quickly. You finished it here just recently. Yes, I am a graduate. You're you're a graduate. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it's just a great tool for people to learn how to coach more effectively, to truly ask questions and to improve their skill sets in coaching and managing. And I'm just delighted to be able to provide that resource to folks and uh, to help them out. Well, it's a wonderful program. I highly recommend everyone try to Uh, get enrolled and enjoy that and uh, learn something and go through the entire program. So thank Mm -hmm. you for the program and thank you for the episode. 
When you go to Apple Podcasts, what we need you to do is give us a five rating and also give us some feedback. Tell us, you know, Roy's great. I don't know about the other guy, but that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. We do want to hear your feedback. And uh, the more you give us a good rating, the more we can share this important information to other uh, individuals. So we sure would appreciate that. Absolutely. And Paul, it's one of the things I respect about you. You're always willing to do self-deprecating humor. So I, re- it's I easy. admire that about you. It's really easy for me. <laughs> okay, we'll see you next time. You Thanks bet. for listening to Coaching for Potential with Rory Rowland. Join us next time for another discussion about the power of coaching. This has been a KCTK production produced by Paul Lavoda and Rory Rowland. For more information and content, visit RoryRowland.com. Welcome to our bonus section, where we talk to Michael Bungay-Stainer on how he got started with coaching. Enjoy our bonus section. So you've been coaching for a long time. How did you get started? How did you go down this path? What drove you to do it? You know, it started actually when I was a teenager, so late teens, And I noticed that I am spending a bunch of time sitting in my friend's cars talking about angst-filled love life and teen life because, you know, that's what life is angst-ridden when you're a teenager. Right. And I just found myself in the situation that I would be, I was a good listener. Mm. But in that moment, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Helping? (laughs) Is this not helping? Is this making it better? Are we going backwards? Are we going forwards? I don't know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I knew that just instinctively that just being there and holding the space mattered, but I didn't, I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And I was just curious to know how could this conversation go better? Mm-hmm. And through that, I started um, volunteering in Australia in my local town, Canberra for a youth suicide hotline, a kind of, you know, kids in trouble call up. And I got some basic training in Rogerian counseling, you know, which fundamentally just says, there's more going on than the first thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Be curious, see what happens when the conversation drops and deepens a little bit and questions can help with that. That really started, started it for me, which is like mm-hmm. a bit of formal training around curiosity. Mm-hmm. I'd left Australia and I'd moved to England to, to study and um, got my first job finally out of university. And I noticed there was this rise of something called coaching from mm-hmm. North America, basically from California. Mm-hmm. Of course, if you're living in London, you look at everything from California skeptically. <laughs> because they're like, I don't know, hippy-dippy West Coast people, uh, who knows what they're up to. <laughs> but, but, but I was intrigued by what was going on. Coaching had, didn't, hadn't really hit the UK yet, but um, something was interesting there. And then with the firm I was working with, I moved from uh, London to Boston, so mm-hmm. it helped set up an office in the US. That was when I started using the language of coaching with my consulting clients and trying to reframe what I was doing as a coaching relationship, not just as a, hey, let me come in and be a consultant to you. Mm-hmm. When I finally moved to Toronto in 2001, I formalized that. I did training with the Coach Training Institute and I built a practice. To my surprise, I was like, now I'm on my own, I'm starting my own business, I've been, my whole life I've been practicing coaching. So this is a slam dunk. I'm going to be brilliant at coaching and that's going to be what I do going forward. Exactly coaching. Right. Turns out I don't love running a coaching practice. I I built up a practice and then I just, fulfilling as bits of it were, it just didn't feel like it used the best of me. 
because it mm. turns out self-awareness as you get a little older, I'm best at creating content. I'm best as a teacher. I'm best as a performer. And I'm a decent coach some of the time. Mm-hmm. But I actually then ended up deconstructing my coaching practice, my one-to-one practice, and then building a, a an organization that is about uh, teaching managers and leaders to be more coach-like, helping organizations shift from advice-driven to curiosity-led. That's box of crayons. Mm-hmm. It was a, a journey that looks straightforward when you look in the rearview mirror, but honestly, it was just me stumbling forward into the future. You know how it is. <laughs> I've been speaking and consulting for 25 years, my friend, and the businesses for me has changed a lot uh, in the meantime. And, and I just love the, the coaching aspect of it. That's why I do the podcast, uh, coach yeah. a lot of uh, organizations, and, and I absolutely love it. So, And that was the bonus section with talking with Michael Bungay-Stainer. So thanks for listening to Coaching for Potential today. Thank you. Bye now.